Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we're reading Mark 12, verses 18 to 27, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 12, verses 18 to 27. And Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her, and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the word of the Lord. These verses relate a conversation between our Lord Jesus Christ and the Sadducees. The religion of these men, we know, was little better than infidelity. They said that there was no resurrection. They too, like the Pharisees, thought to entangle and perplex our Lord with hard questions. The Church of Christ must not expect to fare better than their Master. Formalism on one side and infidelity on the other are two enemies for whose attacks we must always be prepared. We learn in this passage how much unfairness may often be detected in the arguments of infidels. The question propounded by the Sadducees is a striking illustration of this. They tell him of a woman who married seven brothers in succession, had no children, and outlived her seven husbands. They ask, whose wife, and all the seven the woman would be in the resurrection. It may well be surmised that the case was a supposed and not a real one. In the face of it, there is the strongest appearance of improbability. The chances against such a case occurring in reality are almost infinite. But that was nothing to the Sadducees. All they cared was to raise a difficulty, and if possible, to put our Lord to silence. The doctrine of the resurrection they had not the face manfully to deny. The possible consequences of the doctrine were the ground which they chose to take up. There are three things which we shall do well to remember if, unhappily, we have at any time to argue with infidels. For one thing, let us remember that an infidel will always try to press us with the difficulties and abstruse things of religion, and especially with those which are connected to the world to come. We must avoid this mode of argument as far as possible. It is leaving the open field to fight in a jungle. We must endeavor as far as we can to make our discussion turn on the great plain facts and evidences of Christianity. For another thing, let us remember we must be on our guard against unfairness and dishonesty in argument. It may seem hard and uncharitable to say this, but experience proves that it is needed. Thousands of professed infidels have confessed in their later days that they never studied the Bible which they pretend to deny, and though well read in the works of unbelievers and skeptics, 
had never calmly examined the foundations of Christianity. Above all, let us remember that every infidel has a conscience. To this we may always appeal confidently. The very men who talk most loudly and disdainfully against religion are often feeling conscious, even while they talk, that they are wrong. The very argument which they have sneered at and ridiculed will often prove at last not to have been thrown away. We learn in the second place from this passage how much of religious error may be traced to ignorance of the Bible. Our Lord's first words in reply to the Sadducees declare this plainly. He says, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? The truth of the principle here laid down is proved by facts in almost every age of church history. The Reformation in Josiah's day was closely connected with the discovery of the Book of the Law. The false teachings of the Jews in our Lord's time were the result of neglecting the Scriptures. The Dark Ages of Christendom were times when the Bible was kept back from the people. The Protestant Reformation is mainly affected by translating and circulating the Bible. And churches which are most flourishing at this day are churches which honor the Bible. The nations which enjoy most moral light are nations in which the Bible is most known. The parishes in our land where there is most true religion are those in which the Bible is most studied. The godliest families are Bible-reading families. The holiest men and women are Bible-reading people. These are simple facts which cannot be denied. Let these things sink deeply down into our hearts and bear the fruit in our lives. Let us not be ignorant of the Bible lest we fall into some deadly error. Let us rather read it diligently and make it our rule of faith and practice. Let us labor to spread the Bible over the world. The more the book is known, the better the world will be. Not least, let us teach our children to value the Bible. The very best portion we can give them is a knowledge of the Scriptures. We learn in the last place from this passage how different will be the state of things after the resurrection from the state in which we now live. Our Lord tells us that when we shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. It would be foolish to deny that there are many difficulties connected with the doctrine of the life to come. It must necessarily be so. The world beyond the grave is a world unseen by mortal eye and therefore unknown. The conditions of existence there are necessarily hidden from us, and if more were told, we would probably not understand it. Let it suffice us to know that the bodies of the saints will be raised and, though glorified, shall be like their bodies on earth, so like that those who knew them once shall know them again. But though raised with a real body, the risen saint will be completely freed from everything which is now an evidence of weakness and infirmity. There shall be nothing like Muhammad's gross and sensual paradise in the Christian's future existence. Hunger and thirst being no more, there shall be no need for food. Weariness and fatigue being no more, there shall be no need for sleep. Death being no more, there shall be no need of births to supply the place of those who are removed. Enjoying the full presence of God in his Christ, men and women shall no more need the marriage union in order to help one another. Able to serve God without weariness and attend on him without distraction, doing his will perfectly and seeing his face continually, clothed in a glorious body, they shall be as the angels which are in heaven. There is comfort in all this for the true Christian. 
In the body he now has, he often groans, being burdened from a daily sense of weakness and imperfection, 2 Corinthians 5.4. He is now tried by many cares by this world, what to eat and what to drink and what to put on, how to manage his affairs, how to live and what company to choose. In the world to come, all shall be changed. Nothing shall be lacking to make his happiness complete. One thing only we must carefully bear in mind. Let us take heed that we rise again in the resurrection of life and not in the resurrection of the condemned. John 5.29 To the believer in the Lord Jesus, the resurrection will be the greatest of blessings. To the worldly, the godless, and the profane, the resurrection will be a misery and a curse. Let us never rest until we are one with Christ and Christ in us, and then we may look forward with joy to a life to come. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we have just heard, would you prayerfully ask yourself and others the following questions? First, in dealing with infidels, those known to us as unbelievers, Have you ever been pressed by strange questions instead of clear doctrinal truths? Will you commit to not entertain such questions and point to clear biblical teaching instead like our Lord Jesus and to appeal to their conscience? Second, do our lives show that the Bible is consumed or ignored? If we do read, do we read just to check off a list or do we read to make it our rule of faith and practice? And lastly, Do we long for this glorious heavenly home God has promised for those who love him? And this demands the greater question, do we really love him?